Welcome back to Utah skiers and riders. Big snow continues to blanket the state as we head into late January. Hi, I'm Tom Kelly, your host for Last Chair from Ski Utah, telling the story of the greatest snow on earth. This week, Last Chair from Ski Utah is coming to you from a legendary and historic resort located in one of the world's truly most gorgeous settings. We've traveled to Sundance, a year-round mountain resort known for its integration of art and culture with nature. I tell you, as you head up Ray's Lift, you were in complete awe with the spectacular view of Mount Timonogos off to the right. Our guest this week is Sundance Mountain Resort President and General Manager Chad Linbaugh, who has spent most of his career right here at the resort. He's an outdoor enthusiast who truly lives the Sundance lifestyle. And Chad, thanks for joining us on Last Chair. Well, thank you, Tom. We appreciate you being here. And I got to tell you, as you were just opening with that intro, that kind of gave me the chills. Well, it's a, I mean, it's an amazing place. I, I have to uh, actually, I got to ask you first, I, yeah. you have cool, truly one of the coolest jobs in the ski industry. You know, it's not too bad. I, I feel very fortunate. I mean, look where we're sitting right now, looking out that window at Timpanogos. And the fact that I get to be here pretty much every day for the past 25 years is truly a blessing. Well, it's it's been fun for me to come down here. I, I was here last week uh, uh, on a day where I think we had about eight to ten inches of snow up in the yeah. mountain. And you know, you 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 come here and you have that great old feel of a small ski area. And sure. I was getting a little bit nostalgic as I got on rays, but the nostalgia immediately changes as you right. look and the clouds are swirling around <laughs> Timpanogos, and it's just the most gorgeous thing you could possibly see. Well, as you said, it's one of the most beautiful settings for a resort, and it's always so fun to see that guest for their first time arrive here and to see that majestic view of the Cirque of Timpanogos. It's it's really second to none, in my opinion, of any ski resort backdrop in the world. Yeah, just going up that lift. I mean, I was I was just kind of getting ready and making sure I had my tracking devices on <laughs> to, to to record my day, and all right. of a sudden, it's like, oh my goodness, you yeah. know, this was amazing. And it was one of those great days too, where the the clouds were the 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 weather was breaking and the sure. clouds were just swirling. The sun was coming through. It was amazing. Well, because of the height of that mountain, the storm systems are very dramatic, right? And you yeah. see so many different colors with the sun and the clouds and. You know, from my office view right here, I, I witness that every single day. And I've probably taken a thousand photos right out this window because of that dramatic, you know, scene that you see every day. Yeah, it really is amazing. So we're going to talk a lot about the resort. And I want to start out and learn a little bit more about your background. You've spent uh, 25 years working here and you right. really do embody this lifestyle. So tell us a little bit about how you got involved here at Sundance. Well, yeah, you know, so I'm a local kid. I grew up in Pleasant Grove, Utah, which is just, you know, 30 minutes from here at Sundance. So as a young kid, my family used to come up here actually not to ski, but we'd come up here and just walk the grounds, you know, buy the famous lollipops on the wooden stick in the general store. We'd come to the summer theater. So I think as a young kid, I always just felt drawn to this place. I thought it was absolutely beautiful. And I love the feeling that I got when I was here. But I guess what's interesting is I don't come from a skiing family. My parents didn't ski. Um, it's kind of an interesting story how I became a skier, but that was in the late 1970s when I was probably about seven or eight years old. How did So how did you get started then if, they, if they, it wasn't a family thing? <laughs> yeah, it's interesting. So I've got to give my older brother credit, but even more so a gentleman who taught him. So there's a gentleman named Ben Fulmer who lived in our neighborhood, but Ben was a longtime ski patrolman at Alta. And Ben was one of the most generous and kind men I knew. And back then, he would take kids from our neighborhood and take them and teach them to ski at Alta. I was too young, but he taught my older brother. 
And then my older brothers uh, then taught me how to ski. So I'm kind of a second generation from an Alta ski patrolman. And that's what got me into skiing. Like I said, probably around 19, you know, 78, 79. And my first day was skiing right here at Sundance. Um, so it's always been my home mountain. Yeah. How did you connect to building your career here at Sundance? Yeah, that's interesting too. So, you know, when I was uh, started college and uh, was living here in this area and I'd had experience waiting tables and I thought, hey, if I'm going to wait tables, why not work somewhere where I can get a complimentary season ski pass? So I applied up here at Sundance and got the job. And this will sound funny, but I started as a breakfast waiter, worked my way up to lunch waiter, worked my way up to dinner waiter, eventually became a captain waiter in the tree room restaurant. You know, so this was all in about a three-year span. It's about the time I got um, married and it was time to kind of get uh, more of a career path going. And uh, there was a gentleman, I don't know if you knew Scott Beck. Oh, yeah. You know, Scott Beck, a lot of people here in Utah know him. Now, of course, he's in uh, Toronto, but Scott was very influential here. And he used to work here at Sundance. And he was the director of sales. And I thought, man, that job looks fun. I mean, all I thought he did was would go out skiing with clients and have lunches. I didn't see all the work behind the scenes. But as soon as there was an opportunity, I kind of left my waiter career and joined the sales team here. And that was in 1997. From there, it was just kind of an opportunity one after the next that led to me eventually becoming the general manager and president in 2006. So I've now been in this role for a little over 13 years. You know, I, I have to ask you, when was the first time that you met Robert Redford? <laughs> That's a great question. I mean, I, I feel like, you know, I have such an incredible relationship with him. I mean, next to my own father, he's definitely the biggest mentor in my life. I, I absolutely love the man. He's been very good to me. I first met him when I was a waiter in the tree room, you know, which was kind of a nice, mm-hmm. very organic yep. way to kind of slowly meet this legendary man. And I was always so nervous to be around him, probably spilled a few glasses of wine as I was serving <laughs> him over the years, you know, and he, he, he's that way. He gets to know the waiters. He gets to know the staff here. So I think that helped me as I then started evolving in the management ranks here where he knew me. Uh, and then of course, when I became the general manager, that was really something that he and his family um, asked me to do actually. Um, it was kind of like I'd earned their trust at that point. And, and then of course, from that point to today, my relationship with him has just grown and deepened and the respect is greater than ever. You know, we're going to talk a little bit more about this as we go on in the podcast here, but uh, his, it's 50 years since uh, he acquired it. That's and, right. And really still that, that touch that he put on it back in the 60s, it's still here today. It's incredible. Um, no other man could have done for this area what he's done. No other man could have preserved it or kind of put their thumbprint on it like he has. And it'll be fun to get into that a little bit later. So let's look at the history. And I think you told me earlier that uh, uh, Sundance and its predecessor, actually the the fifth oldest ski resort in the state of Utah. Yeah. You know, based on who you talk to, it may be a slightly different, but from our records, we, you know, we show that we're the fifth oldest. Of course, I think it went Brighton, Alta, Beaver Mountain, Snow Basin, and then in 1944 is when Tim Haven was born. Tim Haven is, of course, what this ski area was called before it was Sundance. And it was started by a family named the Stewart family. And they were Scottish immigrants who you know, ended up here in Utah, down in Utah Valley. And they came up here and they surveyed 5,000 acres. And uh, they're trying to figure out what to do with this land. And it was one of their sons named Ray Stewart who said, hey, what if we turn this into a commercial venture? What if we made this a ski area? So as I understand it, he bought an old truck engine 
and created an early rope tow, and they officially opened as a ski resort in 1944. You know, it's interesting to read about the old technology, and and uh, you didn't read a lot about, you know, what the chairlift itself was like. It was more what car engine was powering the uh, the rope tow or whatever device. It's a little different from today, isn't it? It's a little bit. It's a lot different, uh, although the, the principles are, are very much the same. The So it has been 50 years since Robert Redford uh, bought this property. Yeah, that's right. So again, the, the Stewarts operated it from 1944 up, you know, through the 60s. And then, you know, the story of, of really, we call him the third owner, because let's, let's even go back before the Stewarts. We, we want to give credit to the 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 Native Americans, the Utes specifically, because they inhabited this canyon. They were first, the Stuarts were second. And then in 1960s is when the Redford era began. But let's first of all, just jump back. It was around 1958, uh, Robert Redford, he grew up in Southern California, but he was a good enough baseball player that he got a scholarship to play baseball at the uh, University of Colorado in Boulder. So like most college students, he would drive from college life back to home life. And on one of his drives from Colorado to California, he came through. He took a wrong turn, as he said, and came through Provo Canyon and then took a right-hand turn coming up this North Fork Canyon. Again, this was 1958. He was a very young man. He saw Mount Timpanogos, and he at that moment thought this was one of the most beautiful mountains I've ever seen. Well, he continued on his drive, and uh, coincidentally, about a year later, he was back in lo- living back in Los Angeles, and he met and fell in love with a young lady named Lola Van Wagnon. And guess where she was from? She was from Provo, yep. from Provo, Utah. But he met her in Los Angeles. So it was kind of this interesting timing where he had passed through here, and then a short time later, he meets and falls in love with this lady who's from Provo. So they were married in 1959 and pretty quickly decided they want to, wanted to put roots down here at Sundance or in this canyon. So in 1961, they scraped up the little money they had, it was $500, and they bought their first two acres of land here in 1961. So it started very small. It Very small, yeah, two acres. And and even then, he bought the land, and then it was two years later, 1963, that he and some of his family personally built this old A-frame, ca- well, I, so it's old now, it's still there, yeah. but this kind of historic, cool, 60s-style A-frame cabin. That was built in 1963, and you know, at this point, this is this is years before he was a well-known movie star and actor. Um, he was a simple two-acre cabin landowner here. Um, and what happened was a few a few more years passed, and it's now 1968, and and kind of two really really important things happened that year. The first thing was he was hearing rumors that the Stewart family was being approached by developers and that they were being tempted to sell their land, and it really bothered him. And he thought, what if the wrong developer gets a hold of this land because he he loved this canyon. He had made it his part-time home. So he actually approached the Stewart family and he said, hey, if you're going to sell this land, I want to buy it. Now, the most important part of the story that I don't think people realize is this was 1968. So this was before he was a movie star. He'd done a few small roles on TV. He'd done a little bit on Broadway in New York, but he hadn't really launched yet. So he really put himself and his family at financial risk. And he took out, he took out some loans brought on a few partners, and he officially purchased the land from the Stuarts in 68. Now, I said there were two things that happened. The other thing that happened that year, fortunately for him and for all of us, is he auditioned for a role in a movie called Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid. And um, obviously, he was cast into that film. They shot it in 1968. It was released in 1969. And when that film released, it became the biggest box office success in Hollywood that year. 
it literally launched Robert Redford as a movie star in Hollywood pretty much overnight. So that then gave him the newfound um, success that allowed him to really sustain this place the way he wanted to. You know, it was interesting because as I researched this, I put together that timeline and I was wondering how did he do that in 1968? (laughs) Because the big film wasn't out. That's right. And I love to tell that part of the story, um, you know, because think about it. He was 33 years old, didn't have a lot of money. Um, I don't know how many other people would take on that type of risk. And he did it because, number one, he wanted to preserve the canyon. And I think that's such a great statement, such a great commitment. And that commitment stays true 50 years later. You know, one of my favorite films of, of his was Downhill Racer. And I imagine yes. you have seen Downhill yes. Racer. Right. Um, my dear friend, Joe J. Jalbert, was a mm-hmm. uh, young film student at right. the time and was working on the shoot. And he actually looks a lot like Robert hmm. Redford. So they put him in as the yeah. skiing double for many of those scenes. Right. And uh, Joe J. and I have had many late nights looking at, uh, you know, that film and some of the promotions of that. But uh, all of a sudden for Robert Redford, uh, his career started to burgeon. It really did. And, you know, Downhill Racer is not a film that most people know him for, but people like you who know that film, they love it. And that was the film that really introduced Robert Redford to the, let's call it the art of skiing, right? I mean, because it is an art form. And he fell in love with it. You know, he filmed that over in Europe. I've heard him tell me many stories about, you know, the joy and benefit of filming that and and, uh, what that film taught him. That was the film that really kind of launched independent film for him Mm -hmm. and the industry. Yeah, it was an amazing piece. So you had talked about the art of skiing. And one of the things that he did from early on was integrate art into the culture of this place. Yeah, that's exactly right. In fact, I think if you if you boil it down, Sundance exists for two reasons. Number one, it's to preserve the land. And number two, it's to create a place for artists to thrive. And so from that, you know, from 1969 through today, this is an artist colony. It's where artists can come and be safe. And whether that's I guess going into our art studio and learning how to throw a pot, do watercolor, photography, whatever it might be, up to the Sundance Film Festival and the Sundance Institute, which was founded here in 1981, and all that that art institute represents to so many people. What are some of the ways, uh, I mean, you've outlined some of the many things that that you do here today. You know, I think a lot of us don't necessarily think of skiing as an art form, but it but it but it really is and it it it's kind of a majestic sense of being up there and carving these beautiful turns down the mountain. I certainly feel that way um, because it's a it's a beautiful thing, not only to experience, but I think it's a beautiful thing to watch, right? It's mm-hmm. just as as you described it very well. And certainly when you're in a, in a setting as dramatic as this. So how, how uh, I know you've been here 25 years and you've looked back over the history, but what were some of the things that, that Robert Redford sought to do early on to really instill this feeling in the place? Yeah, I love that question because I've spoke to him a lot about that. And he, he feels that he, he had a little bit of a vision when he purchased this because he knew and it's incredible, but this is the type of man he is. He knew that there would come a time, because put yourself back in 1969, 70, Utah was not on the map, right? I mean, this was before the days of Deer Valley, even before Snowbird, um, Park City, you know, it, it was not on the map. And, and, and Robert Redford knew that there was going to come a time where Utah was going to start getting discovered, crowded. Not, I don't want to say crowded, but let's just say discovered, mm-hmm. right? And so he knew that kind of taking a corner of this area and really protecting it was going to be meaningful, not just then, but for future generations. And I love that he had that foresight to say, 
I need to protect this and preserve this. You know, it, it is fascinating coming up here and, and and being up on the ski area. You have a lot of terrain up there, um, but it's also been very carefully sculpted to not impact nature. Yeah, and that's really important. And it's interesting. So the total acreage of Sundance that the, that the Redford family owns is 5,000 acres. And the ski mountain itself is only 450 acres of that 5,000 acres. So to your point, I think one of the many benefits of skiing here is that you are truly in nature. You know, you get yourself out there on the ski mountain and you're surrounded by so much land that's protected because the Redford family has taken a little over half of that 5,000 acres and they've put it into different types of conservation easements and ways that that land is protected for future generations. Now, let's talk uh, about the resort overall, and we'll mm-hmm. get back to the ski area in a minute. But uh, you have an amazing resort, and just walking through the little village today in uh, uh, Creekside, and yeah. you know, going over to the the, the general store, uh, it just has this magical feel, kind of all connected by this bubble babbling brook. It really does. A river runs through it, literally, right? Yes. We've got this amazing water system that comes from the glaciers off of Mount Timpanogos down Stuart Falls, runs through this North Fork River that comes right through the resort. And you can't you can't replicate that. Um, in fact, I'm, I'm thinking of a funny story. Can I tell you a funny story? You totally can. Qu- quite a few years ago, we had a wedding here, uh, a very high-end wedding. And it was over there by that rehearsal hall. You know, there's a yeah, large oh, yeah. pond by the rehearsal hall. This wedding planner was here and they're planning the wedding and they're going to have a very well-known band performing. And this wedding planner actually said to me, he says, now, Chad, we're going to need you to turn off that waterfall. You know, the little <laughs> waterfall by the rehearsal hall. And I looked at him and thought, you think this is all man-made? I'm like, this is a natural water system that comes off the glacier on a waterfall that comes, you know, but I think travelers today go places and they think that things are created, you know, you know, man-made, but here this is natural. I mean, we've got this incredible water system that comes right through the, through the resort. So to your point, um, it's such a unique setting because we've built the village around that. You know, we've got, like you said, the general store, the L bar, a couple of award-winning restaurants. And then our lodging is interesting too, because even people who have skied here for 20, 30, 40 years, they don't know that we're a hotel. And why is that? Well, it's because Robert Redford wanted everything to be built below the tree line. So all of our lodging, all of our you know, hotel rooms are essentially little cottages that are tucked along the stream under the tree line. Well, I really like the feel of it. And we've we've spent a number of weekends up here in the summertime and you go into the little cottages and just the feel of them, the, uh, the, the blankets, the tapestries, yeah. it, it just really is in sync with everything around you. Yeah, you feel like you're living the Sundance brand, don't you? When you, you you're do. in those rooms, I mean, it, it, it it's well represented. Yeah. And- um, my, my wife is a big aficionado of the Sundance brand, and uh, she, I find her oftentimes down at the <laughs> outlet store down in Salt Lake as well. How does that work for your credit card? It, it works okay because <laughs> you know, she, she's a master shopper. She knows how to shop the sales. <laughs> she Honestly, she'll, she'll pick an item out that she really loves, and mm-hmm. then she'll sit on it, and she'll wait, and she'll wait six months, Isn't that nine great? months, and she'll wait until she gets that special sale. But everything that comes out of there, it, it just ties back together. Well, that's a fun story. The Sundance catalog started here at the resort in 1989. It was was a result of guests coming here, coming into our little store, the general store, and saying, hey, I like your products. So the general manager at the time, his name is Brent Beck. That's Scott Beck's father. Mm -hmm. He was the original GM here. He and Redford thought, hey, people like this brand. They like these products. And 
now that's one of the most successful, you know, catalog businesses out there. Yeah, it, it is amazing. D- during the, the the film festival, how engaged are you in the, uh, what goes on here? Yeah, that's a really good question. We get asked that a lot, you know, because the festival, as you know, is run by the Sundance Institute, which is a nonprofit that was founded here at the resort in 81. So we're two separate entities, but we're very closely related. And we, the resort, are an official provider of the film festival. So one of the best known secrets that I guess I'm going to reveal right now to all these listeners is you can have a full Sundance Film Festival experience by just staying right here at the resort. What I mean by that is we have our own screening room theater. It's Robert Redford's private screening room. And we do four films per day, all 10 days of the festival. So you can come here and see 40 different films, you know, through the festival. And, um, you know, Park City is wonderful and Park City is fun. But if you if you don't want that experience, you can have kind of a more quiet experience here at Sundance Resort. We always try every few years to get to a film down here because, mm-hmm. as you said, it doesn't have the glitz and glitter of being on a historic right. Main Street in Park City. Right. But it has a totally different feel. You feel like you're right at the origins. That's exactly right. I mean, I, I think there's no better place to watch a film than right here where it all, where it all started. Yeah. So this resort we've been speaking of was recognized this fall with a very special honor. Yeah, we, you know, I don't want to say we were shocked, but we were certainly humbled and um, we were very grateful. So Condé Nast Traveler Magazine, they do a Reader's Choice Award every every year. This year they had over 600,000 readers um, do this survey and Sundance Mountain Resort was ranked the number one ski resort in North America. And we're just grateful. We're humbled. Um, I think in, I, I've spent a lot of time thinking about this. And I think what it comes down to is travelers, skiers today, they want an experience and they want a feeling. And I think you get a feeling here at Sundance that you can't get anywhere else, right? We may not have the most lifts, the best lifts, the most snow. I mean, we have wonderful and all that, but it may not be the very best. But when you put it all together and the experience and the feeling that you get when you're here, I think that's what made readers say, let's let's vote Sundance the number one resort. You know, I mean, I'm biased on this because I'm a lifelong skier or almost a lifelong skier. But there are very few activities that a family can participate in over an entire lifetime that are so feeling oriented. It's not right. just about coming down the hill. Yeah. It's everything that goes with it. I agree. And that's why I've loved it ever since I was a kid. It's just, it's even the smell. You pull up to a resort and like, <laughs> whether you're smelling the wax in the ski shop yeah. or, you know, it sounds weird, but to smell the snow on the mountain, the feeling of just that that experience. So I, I completely agree with you. It's I, I think it's an amazing feeling that any family gets when they're out on the mountain together. So let's talk a little bit about the mountain. And you know, first, uh, just from a sense of history, uh, uh, you have a, a, a over two thousand feet of vertical. Right. Uh, but you didn't always have that. I know with Tim Haven, it was just yeah. the bottom part. But kind of go through the chronology a little bit of how did you get that top mountain open over the years. Yeah, it's kind of a fun story because, you know, here at Sundance, if you are if you don't know the mountain, we kind of have it divided into what we call the front mountain and the back mountain. So for those first many decades, certainly under the Tim Haven name, it was really just the front mountain that was skiable. And that's where today we have two chairlifts, um, Ray's Lift and, and Jake's Lift. In 1975, the lift called Flathead was put in, which opened up, you know, I'd say about uh, a quarter of the terrain on the back mountain today. And then 10 years later in 1985 is when a chairlift called Arrowhead Lift was put in, which took guests right up to the top of that mountain peak. And so what's kind of unique about that is you're, 
you're, you're at a spot at the top of this mountain where you can look down and see Utah Valley. You can look back and see Deer Creek, Midway Heber. I could point out and show you the top of Snowbird, the top of Deer Valley from that one point. The, the views up there are absolutely incredible. And when that terrain was opened in 1985, that was a major game changer for Sundance. Uh, it, it opened up Bishop's Bowl, the Far East, some of our most iconic runs and ski terrain. The uh, you know when I was up there skiing last week, I was immediately captivated uh, first by the the little shoots through the woods uh, off of Amy's Ridge, and and that's yeah. just what a fun run! You get come out on that ridge, and then you have your choice of where do you want to drop in. Whether it's aspens or old growth pine trees, there's some incredible glade skiing here, and. Um, just ask, ask a local and see if they'll share with you. But there's some amazing stashes you can find. Well, it, it for, for me, the most impactful thing when I was skiing here last week was uh, that that old pine growth that you've, you, you have right. up there off of Amy's Ridge and these gorgeous 12 to 14 inch diameter right. pines, uh, and ample space between them. I mean, yes. I, I, I'm a delicate, uh, glade <laughs> skier. I love it, but right. going through the aspens at deer Valley sure. can sometimes be challenging mm-hmm. for me, mm-hmm. but these big old pine trees yeah. and they're just so majestic and you, you know, it just symbolized the preservation here of nature. You feel it, don't you? As you're skiing yeah, through you there, really you do. feel that preservation. It's a bit kind of an enchanted feeling um, and some great skiing. The, the the other thing that struck me as we were going up Ray's Lift uh, was what perfect terrain for family and beginners. And, 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 you know, nice green runs with some blue one runs, right? So once you get experienced enough. Uh, but what a great area for families. Yeah, we do very well with families. I think they enjoy the how would I say it? the simpleness of this place, the fact that it's all contained in a fairly small area at the base. I mean, where you get your ski rentals, where you meet your ski instructor, it's all right here. And then maybe the greatest benefit for families is the whole mountain kind of funnels down to one point here at the base area. So if your kids get lost on a trail or two, they're going to find you at the bottom of the of the main run. Yeah. So if, you know, I, I know that you're probably not going to give out a lot of secrets here, but uh, on those really big powder days, when, yeah. when you go up to the top of the mountain, where are some of the really cool places to go? You know, yeah, I know some of, some of our diehard locals may not appreciate me sharing this, but I'm going to, cause everybody deserves it. Right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but, you know, you see Bishop's bowl. So if you're skiing down Bishop's bowl, you go to skiers right side, that whole area called far East has six different shoots. And what happens is people start venturing over there, but they get tempted and they start going down the first or second chute. And that means even on a powder, you know, on a powder day, you can still be getting fresh tracks. If you go all the way down to vertigo, which is the very last run, that's a double black diamond. I mean, it's easy to get first, you know, fresh tracks there at the end of a day on a powder day. Yeah. I was out there last Thursday, as I mentioned earlier, and there was six, eight, 10 inches of new snow. So I kind of threaded my way along that Mm ridgeline at the top of Far East. And I didn't go all the way down a vertical, but I went about halfway down. And, you know, you could see that, you know, every little bit further you go down is a little bit more likelihood you're going to get some fresh tracks. That's exactly right. The, uh, uh, you know, the other, the other uh, piece that was intriguing for me is that what you've built up at uh, Jake's Lift. Uh, you've mm-hmm. got a parking mm-hmm. lot up there, and, and actually, uh, you have a fair amount of access off of that lift. Yeah, Jake's Lift is a great story because as, as Sundance has become more popular over the years, you know, sadly, we have had to expand parking. And so a parking area was built up in that area quite a few years ago. And for years, people had to shuttle down to catch the lift down here. And then I think it was 2012, we added Jake's lift, which took people right out of that parking lot, which I think makes it one of the most 
accessible, easy ski experiences anywhere. And then a few years ago, we added the the building up there that has another little rental shop and ticket office so people can rent their skis and take off right there from that upper parking lot. You know, uh, before I get too far on this, uh, I want to make sure that we talk about my good friend, Stephen Nyman, uh, yes. uh, one of the top World Cup downhill skiers for the U.S. ski team. And he came right out of this mountain, didn't he? We're very proud of Steve Nyman. He's um, a very uh, fun part of Sundance's history. He's a very close friend of mine and my family. My wife grew up here at Sundance. She was Her family lived here year-round. So when my wife was probably about 16 years old, she used to babysit Steve Nyman and his <laughs> brothers. Um, and so, it's, so I've, I've known Steve since he was about 14 years old and watched him grow not only as a skier but as a human. He's an incredible person, and he's very generous in, you know, maintaining his love for Sundance. He skis all over the world, obviously, but if you ask him, he'll still say this is his favorite place to ski. Yeah, you know, he eventually got to the race program in Park City, but when you ask him where he's from, it is always Sundance. Yeah, <laughs> and we love that. that. He's very, very proud of it, and we are too. So you have a big mountain here, and actually the way I the way I, I like to phrase it is that uh, you have a small ski area that skis really, really big, and with that comes challenges, snow, yeah. canyon, other things. How do you manage all of that? Yeah, it's, uh, you're right. Cause our, our ski area is up against some really big shoots. So our, you know, I want to give a big shout out to our, um, ski patrol team. They do an incredible job with, um, snow safety and avalanche mitigation. So even though we're a small resort, we have a very extensive, um, ski patrol effort. Um, it's, and I'm happy to hear you say that it's a small mountain that skis in a big way. And it's really true because sometimes people, if they're just looking at statistics and they say, okay, it's 45 runs, it's five chairlifts, you know, compare that to some other places. But I'll challenge anybody, if they want to come down here and say, hey, I can show you an incredible couple of ski days, it'll wear your legs out. You know, you can ski a lot of terrain here. It's it's quite amazing. Yeah, it, it, it really is. Uh, you... It, Protection of the canyon environment, I know, mm -hmm. is is paramount, and it has been for Robert Redford for fifty years. Yeah. How does how does that? I mean, what are some of the things that you do to really protect this environment? Yeah, you know, first of all, we have a nonprofit organization called Sundance Preserve, and the Sundance Preserve helps us with our you know land conservation easements that I spoke about earlier. It also helps us figuring out ways we can always be as environmental as possible. Um, you know, a lot of our recycling programs, we have the, the amazing glass blowing studio where we take all of our glass, blow that back into art versus that glass going into a landfill. You know, we, we purchase renewable energy credits. I mean, we do all those things to really hope that we're minimizing our, our carbon footprint in, in all ways. Yeah. As we look into the future, anything on the horizon that you might want to share with us? You know, I often get asked that question about the future of Sundance. And I, I like to say, you know, to look at the future, oftentimes you look at the history. And if we look at the history of Sundance, it's been about slow growth, well-thought growth, preserving as much as possible, maintaining a place that creates a feeling. And I think that's what the future is as well. Now, that probably means we do have new initiatives. I mean, at some point we replace chairlifts. At some point we maybe build another building, but we do it in a very slow, calculated, thoughtful way. Yeah. I always say history is the roadmap to the future. It really is, isn't it? It really is. Um, okay. The, you have been a great guest. I appreciate oh, getting you. these insights. We're going to close it out with our familiar lightning round. So I've got great. a few All carefully right. crafted questions for you. Nothing that's going to really throw <laughs> you. But uh, first of all, I know you covered this already, but where did you learn to ski? 
right here at Sundance. I won't forget that day. It was it was incredible. I I took to it pretty pretty well. In fact, I never had a real formal lesson. It was my brother and cousin who taught me, and it was just kind of like go to the top of the lift and here you go, Chad. You know, um, but I absolutely loved it from day one. So if you're going to go out, I'm just going to tell the office to say, hey, listen, I'm going to be gone for an hour or two, yeah. and you're going to go and make that perfect run around yeah. the mountain. Where will you go? Well, it's riding all the way up to the top of Red's Lift, to the top of the Bear Claw Summit. It's skiing down Bishop's Bowl, taking the cat track from Bishop's out, and then dropping down Red Finger and ending up at the bottom of Flathead Lift and just doing that loop over and over on a powder day is heaven for me. And I'm guessing you've done this a few times. I've done that a few times. <laughs> Best lunch up at Bear Claw. There's no question. It's the nachos. We sell so many nachos and guests always say, we love the nachos at Bear Claw. And I've yet to see a guest finish an order of nachos. Can you finish an order of nachos? <laughs> the only time I personally can, the only time I've seen it kind of get finished, one time I was up there with my sons and some of my, one of my son's buddies were there. And so I said, Hey, you guys can finish these. And these teenagers just devoured them, you know, but that's the only time I've seen the nachos get all the way eaten. By the way, folks, Bear Claw is the restaurant at the top of the mountain. It truly is unique. There is nothing like it anywhere. It's a fun place and get there early to get that spot by the fireplace. That's right. right. Um, favorite ski resort outside of Utah. Oh, wow. Okay. You know, Okay, outside of Utah, because you know I'm so loyal to Utah. I, I okay. love we Utah. Can I, I know, a little I bit. But but I also love to get out and ski other places. It's so educational. I'll say a place that's special to my. I have three sons, and a place that we like to ski is Jackson. Um, we love going up to Jackson. I love that town. I like I like the mountain. It's a very adventurous mountain. So I'd say Jackson Hole. Okay, sounds good. Favorite trout stream, and you don't have to give away any secret holes. <laughs> you know, I mean, this is the obvious choice, but I'm going to say my favorite trout stream is right here at Provo River, this lower part of the Provo River, because it's two miles from Sundance. You're almost guaranteed to have a successful day down there. I mean, we, we do so well down there. My sons and I fish there all the time. Our guide service here at Sundance takes guests on that part of the river, and I just absolutely love it. I love how accessible it is, and yet when you're on that section of river, you don't feel like you're next to a highway. You feel like you're in nature. It's really incredible. Yeah, you're a little below the highway. You, you don't hear that noise as much, do you? Yeah, so we absolutely love that. Now, I also love the, the Uintas. You know, there's a lot of areas in the Uintas that I love to fish too. Yeah, but is this one of those places where you're going to tell the staff, listen, I'll be back in an hour. And Absolutely. You got, the, you got the rod and the reel in the, <laughs> in the car. Uh, if you had a backpack and a couple of nights available, what's a favorite trail you'd like to go out on? You know, um, a fa I, I explored the Wind Rivers in Wyoming this past year, and I'd like to explore that more. Um, so that's, that's an area I like a lot. But I, I guess the go-to for us is the Uintas. My wife and I love going up to the Uintas and just, I mean, there's so many different trails and so many different hikes. I can't even mention one specific. Um, I guess Wall Lake, we go up past Wall Lake and Island Lake. That's a fun area. But uh, if we have a weekend, that's where we go. Favorite Robert Redford movie? Oh, man, I have two. Can I, can I give two? You can give it's two. A tie. It's a tie. Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid, of course, and also A River Runs Through It. Those two to me are just like, they're like scripture. Yeah. River Runs Through It is scripture, right? I mean, that the text in that movie is just, it's powerful. I, I've teased Bob that every time I watch that movie, I cry at the end. I don't appreciate <laughs> that, but I love it. Got to make him cry. <laughs> That's right. Last question. Groomers, powder, glades, or moguls? 
No question. I'm a powder boy. Everybody I mean, is. I love powder. I love powder. But I will say with the technology of skis nowadays, those groomer days are pretty nice too. Oh, they really are. Yeah. Actually, what's a, what's, what's a great total groomer day? What's the great groomer run from the top here? My favorite groomer run is Amy's Ridge. I love just flying down Amy's Ridge on a groomer day. And where do you drop down then? So then you take that cat track just above Hawkeye. Yeah. Um, and, and then you merge into the lower part of, of bear claw. Yeah. Isn't it amazing though, how the evolution and equipment has made groomer days oh, so much fun. Absolutely. I just absolutely. love it. Chad, you've been a great guest. Thank you so much for joining us on last year. Thank you, Tom. I really appreciate it. Happy look, to have you here. Look forward to getting and making some turns with you at some point. Me too. Chad Linebow, the president and general manager at... Uh, Sundance Mountain Resort. If you haven't been to Sundance in a while, get up here this winter. It's a fun mountain with amazingly rewarding views. If you're enjoying Last Chair from Ski Utah, make sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast platform and please share with a friend. I hope you're enjoying these stories of the people who make the Ski Utah experience so magical. I'm Tom Kelly, your host for Ski Utah's Last Chair. I'll see you up on the mountain.